Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. We're totally back in here. It's so good to be back. Absolutely. It has been a little while. We took a week off for both holiday and professional. Yeah, we just had a bunch of stuff going on, to be honest. Life. Life reasons. Absolutely. You guys all have your life reasons, too. And we are glad that you took a moment out of your life to download this podcast. Absolutely. Because guess what? Oathbringer still exists. It's out there in the universe. It's in the world. Yeah. And more and more people are finishing it and reading it. We'll just thank everybody making our last Oathbringer episode most popular ever. Yeah, props, guys. My brothers are about to get Oathbringer for Christmas and start, embark upon this journey, and I'm pretty excited. I will also <gasps> say that you got them Oathbringer, or it was it like I, family? Yeah, it was like a family thing. I have been getting them Brandon Sanderson's books every year for the last like five years. Yeah. But I didn't think that they would want to wait for Oathbringer, but they were banking on me getting it for them, <laughs> which I didn't know until after I didn't buy it for them and I bought them other Cosmere things. But I like ran to my mom and was like, mom, you have to buy them this book. They're expecting me to please buy it. <laughs> So when in doubt for last minute gift ideas, and it would be really last minute because this doesn't release until the day after Christmas. So if you- Well, in time for the new year or Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa actually starts on the 26th. So if you are celebrating Kwanzaa, I don't know if you give gifts, but if you do and you still need one, Cosmere books are great. Yeah. And we are going to break down Oathbringer. There was a a kind of conversation about how do we want to do this, take it part by part, or- Uh, kind of go with bigger themes, but we have decided to talk about specific aspects of the book that we think are super important and try to make the connections uh, that exist to both the in-world Rashar stuff going on Mm -hmm. and also the larger Cosmere. So we will not necessarily be going in order. Correct. We are just talking about what the book had going on. And yeah, it had so we're just going to kind of pull out some of the larger chunks in terms of either plot points or themes or um, development on things that we've previously discussed and talk about all of the new things that we know now, how that factors in, what that changes for the Cosmere. Um, and we've reached out to you guys on the social meds and I took note of everything that you guys said and we have worked it into our episode plans. So uh, if you reach out to us, we will be talking about your things. Beginning with Odium and the Oath Pact. This book was called Oathbringer, about Dalinar, obviously his sword, Oathbringer. Uh, but it also could have been called Odium, or we just learned a whole bunch of new shit about Odium. Dang, yeah. Odium has been like looming so large for so long in the Cosmere, but off screen. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And getting some good screen time with Odium was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, for Marvel fans out there in the world, this is like Thanos, who has been hinted at or seen for a couple of seconds in the previous movies. But now, the big one, Infinity War, got his gem 
stones that he's going after. Thanos is in the Marvel Universe. Guess what? Odium is in the Cosmere Universe. Should we just jump right into meeting Odium? Because meeting Odium is insane. It was one of the moments in the book when I literally <laughs> had like a physical reaction. And I know nobody can see yeah. the physical reaction <laughs> that I did or am about to do. But it's that kind of like shaking all over your whole body of just like <laughs> excitement and fear and like all emotions just going crazy all at once. And you're you're shaking your Kindle or whatever device you're reading on, old style books with pages or whatnot. Uh, and you're just whole body is just <laughs> vibrating with what happens. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I like threw the book down and was just like, it's Odium. When we meet Odium, Dalinar is in reliving one of the visions uh, that were given to him by Honor uh, through the Stormfather, uh, dating back all the way to the Way of Kings. And he's reliving these visions. Sometimes he's sending new people into the visions. Uh, but this one is the Day of Recreance at uh, Feverstone Keep. And he's going through the experience. Go ahead. And it like kind of starts to end, right? Yes, it's where like, it should end. Yeah, coming to an end and then all of a sudden... He's pulled into like a different space. Yeah. And he kind of like uh, turns around or uh, looks around and he sees a figure that the physical description is really great and, and really interesting. Uh, do we want to read yeah. a bunch of things? So just give people all the info? I mean, sure. Why not? Okay. Uh, because I think that the physical description is important and then maybe... When other people read it, maybe they saw it differently, but I'll just go with, like, what we... Yeah, I I mean, I think in general, this description is maybe not what we were anticipating. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Odium as a whole is not what I was anticipating. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So here's the moment. Dalinar turns around and he says, quote, A man in white and gold stood there. Dalinar jumped, scrambling backward. The man was old, with a wide, furrowed face and bone-white hair that swept back from his head as if blown by wind. Thick mustaches with a hint of black in them blended into a short white beard. He seemed to be shin, judging by his skin and eyes, and he wore a golden crown in his powdery hair. Those eyes, they were ancient, the skin surrounding them deeply creased, and they danced with joy as he smiled at Dalinar and rested a golden scepter on his shoulder. End quote. So we have like a grandfather with joy in his eyes, which I don't know about you, is not how I have ever imagined Odium. No, and what I saw here is what Dalinar sees as well. Is like, oh, this is Honor. And what is Honor like? Well, he's uh, almost splitting image of the prototypical Judeo-Christian God. Uh, you know, a older white man with beard, maybe long white hair, uh, crown, or like, you know, other aspects of divinity, uh, golden scepter. Like, you have this kind of, uh, with, with white cloth. Yeah, very, a classical image. Yes, and I think that, concept of a classical image of god is what dalinar sees and he immediately like 
falls to his knees, like prostrates himself and is like, you are honor, you are God. And the retort or the response uh, from Odium is so brilliant. Do we want to play this one out? Do you want to be Dalinar or do you want to be Odium? Uh, I'll be Odium. Okay, you're going to be Odium. Quote, I've always been here, God said. Always with you, Dalinar. Oh, I've watched you for a long, long time. Here, you're not the Almighty, are you? Honor? No. He truly is dead, as you've been told. The old man's smile deepened, genuine and kindly. I'm the other one, Dalinar. They call me Odium. End quote. So <gasps> lovely. Like, I'm the other one. They call me Odium. Dang. That's the end of part two. Like in the book, that climax is part so, two. Oh my, I lost my mind. Yeah, and you're just like, ah, that's the physical reaction that you have. Oh and you're God. just like, this is Odium, the person that both Dalinar and I, myself, mistake for honor, this kind of figure of... Yeah, he's like, like they said, he's so kindly and like genuine and just this like nice little grandpa, almost like Taravangian. Yes. You know, this like really nice, but just like simple stately. old man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. still that idea of like this person that you think of as like harmless and kind who has some hidden depths. Oh, so much depth and Dalinar not by choice but is forced to witness uh, the depths of Odium and it's important I think at this point uh, to go to the words of Odium about how he describes himself because so far we have heard Odium described by other people other books or you know in world mythology uh, yeah, he's always been described as odium, which is all hatred. Hatred was the um, key phrase that always stuck out. Yeah, and I don't think we've encountered a shard yet that has sort of disagreed with the name that he has in the Cosmere. But odium actually defines himself as passion yeah, and he, like the source of all emotion yes he says i am emotion incarnate i am lust joy hatred anger exultation glory and vice like he is every emotion that human beings have and eventually what will also later in the book um have the reveal that that emotion that's so directly tied to the humans on Rashar comes directly because Odium is the human's god. The shard that was most closely tied to the humans. Not honor, not cultivation. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's been 100% confirmed. We know we, he definitely has more ties to the humans than we previously suspected. Absolutely. We don't have all the details, but heavy speculation. Well, no, because I really think there's like more at play there. I think throughout all of Oathbringer, there are references to like humans being a byproduct of possibly more than one shard, including Odium. But I don't think he's the only one. Yeah, I had this uh, moment while reading... I forget exactly where it is, uh, but the quote from the book was that like the 
the humans and specifically the Alethi are more warlike than or more uh, quick to anger, quick to emotion. Yeah, they. there's a couple of references to, uh, I think the quote is, the battle rage unique to the Alethi. Nice, good pull. And I thought that was interesting too because I think in general I've been thinking of that battle rage and the thrill being related to the unmade, which we're going to do an episode about. Don't worry, guys. Um, but the unmade is mobile. Uh, and so wherever that unmade is present, there's more thrill present. And so I thought it was interesting that the Alethi themselves are known to be more warlike because that indicates more stability than what we would see from something coming from the unmade. I think it's interesting also how Odium portrays the other shards. Obviously, Honor being dead, uh, but about them, he said, quote, Honor cared only for bonds, not the meaning of bonds and oaths, merely that they were kept. Cultivation only wants to see transformation, growth. It can be good or bad for all she cares. The pain of men is nothing to her. Only I understand. Only I care, Dalinar. Yeah, I thought that part was really interesting as well because it really did make me like more empathetic towards Odium, which is weird, right? This thing that you've like been hating for the last two books plus throughout the Cosmere. Um, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, actually, like, okay, I, I see his place mm-hmm. in this world. And it's so... Important, I think, uh, to have this perspective of the shard themselves. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, preservation or what I would maybe, I think the reader would probably identify as like the flaw of preservation. Described in Mistborn's Secret History, preservation loved the Lord Ruler. He thought the Lord Ruler was the bee's knees. He's like, this guy is so cool. Why? Because he's preserved. He keeps right, things the same. he's keeping everything the same. And like, Kelsier calls him out on it. And he's like, the Lord Ruler was a tyrant. He was terrible. Like, I overthrew him for good reason. And Preservation was like, yeah, I kind of thought that was a bummer. Like, <laughs> like that he was like my favorite human because right. the shards are so driven by their intent. Right. Well, and they're meant to all be together, Mm -hmm. right? When all the shards are together, there is balance so that you have both change and preservation and emotion and rationality, Mm -hmm. right? So it all balances each other out. But we have this broken God. And so we have extremes, which is never good. Mm -hmm. And I think that the idea of all emotion, all passion, all strong feeling being what makes up Odium is so much more convincing as a as a villain or as something that's like, you know, true evil, the the emperor in Star Wars, like the the Sauron in Lord of the Rings. It's it's bad. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Uh, but it also means that the answer is just, oh, well, you need a pure good. You need a Frodo Baggins. You need the Luke Skywalker. Right. It's a lot more um, two-dimensional, right? Yes. It's, it's flat. You have one person that is all bad. You have one person that is all good. All you have to do is defeat the bad thing and then like, yay, everyone's happy. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> and from 
Odium's description of himself and his obviously I don't think that like he's giving the whole truth but you you start to see the significance of what Odium means uh, to the humans in the reveal of the part four part five you know the, the end of the book this concept that the void bringers and the story of the void bringers is a story about humans coming to rishar and bringing with them their god their shard odium they come from the planet ashen because of a cataclysm of some type we still don't know anything about that and they arrive on rishar and it is the listeners who are going to name them void bringers and i think specifically they reference in the elias steel they reference the void specifically tied to odium like odium is a key part of what they brought along they brought with them the void Mm -hmm. and that void was odium something along those lines now that we know more about how odium defines himself as well as more as passion uh, of you know many different types rather than just as odium i think that gives us an interesting insight slash clue also into um the history of humans because we have the thalans who we hear a lot more about in oathbringer as being considered heathens uh previously they believed in a religion called the passions which they still sort of mm-hmm. uh use but they are you know they like to put on a front now of being like good Vorin citizens. They really try to push that to the forefront. But culturally in their history, they believed in something called the passions. Um, so I, I'm really wondering if that is like the ancient religion of odium that they might have brought there with them. Um, but there's a lot of references to that in Oathbringer of people referencing the passions, uh, the different passions that exist in that religion, uh, even the fused. Mm-hmm. There's one of the fused who, she she uses the phrase, see passion, like we would say, see reason. Yeah. Um, which I just thought was super interesting and shows you like the, where people's values are. Absolutely. And I think that the kind of convincing element that Odium uses is this appeal to the emotion appeal to uh pain let's let's talk okay so you said the human history element and and i mentioned the elias steel that was the document uncovered or translated and specifically it was written in the ancient language, the Don chant? Yeah, isn't it the first? It's the first text that they're able to translate yes. from the Don chant that is kind of one of the side stories in Oathbringer. Yeah, and so they get this translation because of Dalinar's visions, and he's yeah. uh, getting that all written down by Navani, and they are able to translate this ancient document, and it's the document that I think like everyone was like, uh, if we're going to translate anything, let's translate this, because it tells... Uh, the earliest history that we know of and this reveal is in the book coming at a specific time but it's also the same reveal that 
crush the Knights Radiant that um, created the Day of Rec or led to the Day of Recreants that Dalinar then has the flashback to and sees at Feverstone Keep uh, and eventually runs into Odium in that moment. So I thought everything was so beautifully connected because this knowledge that the Elias Steel is it the name of the book or the name of the author? It's the name of the text. Okay. And when it is revealed to the Knights Radiant, they break their oaths and they give up uh, and kill their bonded spren. And so let's look at that. Let's dive into that kind of big reveal of Oathbringer. Discovered in world with the Elias Steel that human beings are the Voidbringers. Human beings came from Ashen to Rishar and took over this planet. So would you read for us? It's not that long, uh, but just take us through the translated Elias Steel. Yeah. Quote, They came from another world, using powers that we have been forbidden to touch, dangerous powers of Spren and Surges. They destroyed their lands and have come to us begging. We took them in as commanded by the gods. What else could we do? They were a people forlorn without a home. Our pity destroyed us, for their betrayal extended even to our gods, to Spren, Stone, and Wind. Beware the otherworlders, the traitors, those with tongues of sweetness but with minds that lust for blood. Do not take them in. Do not give them succor. Well were they named Voidbringers, for they brought the void. The empty pit that sucks in emotion. A new god. Their god. These Voidbringers know no songs. They cannot hear Roshar. And where they go, they bring silence. They looked soft, with no shell, but they are hard. They have but one heart, and it cannot ever live. End quote. The humans are the bad guys. That's basically what we figure out. Uh, the story that they told themselves of being a people constantly defending their homeland is wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily the full picture. You know what I mean? Like, I think they probably, they, I still think they were fleeing some kind of cataclysm. So they were still like refugees they just weren't native to Rashar like they thought they were but they're also the conquerors in my opinion or my um kind of understanding there's a similar thing going on with like american history or colonialist history sure. of you came to a land that was filled with people you know europeans to the pre-America before it was America and you destroy both on purpose and accidentally through disease and stuff the native populations and then you recraft the story and the story of early Americans 
if you go read it, it's, oh, it's a city upon a hill. It's so beautiful. It's like we arrived in the Garden of Eden and the forest is filled with food and huge paths are made by God and we just walk through and pick up the food. No, man, you're walking through a garden that was made by Native Americans like for hundreds of years and then they all died because of smallpox or like other diseases. But like you recraft the story for yourself. And that's what the humans did on Rashar is they removed themselves from any type of like holocaust uh or or massive war against the native people of Rashar and they turned it into we are the native people and we are being attacked yeah well I think that speaks to the reversal that happens because we know that at some point Odium became more of the god of the singers and honor and cultivation you know the humans sort of adopted them more as their god so there's like this reversal that happens yeah absolutely and i'm interested to learn more because that's obviously the kind of aspect that's left up in the air yeah i'm interested as well because this passage states that when the humans came to Rashar, they were already using powers of spren and surges. Mm-hmm. However, when I look pre- at the passage we quoted previously from Odium describing honor and cultivation, it seems to me pretty clear that honor and cultivation are the uh, genesis of surge binding because we have honor, who is all about oaths that you need to become a surge binder. And then you have cultivation, who's all about transformation, which is, again, what happens when you become a surge binder. So... I think it might... It might have something to do with what was mentioned in the Ars Arcanum, which we know is written by Chris, where she mentions that the magic systems that are she currently understands are most likely not the only things going on on Rashar. Uh, She may be hinting at, okay, honor and surge binding is maybe the words that um, the listeners used, but it could have been another type of magic system. It, It might not have been the surge binding that we know. Yeah, because I do think... There are different kinds of spren, and different kinds of spren involve different kinds of surge binding. Mm-hmm. Because, like, uh, not honor, sorry, Odium says he is the soul of spren. Um, but then we know for sure that there are honor spren. And I think previously the singers were bonding with mostly lesser spren. And then after. Uh, Odium came and the new god came, they started doing more with uh, the higher spren mm-hmm. that gave them more power. And that's where they get those big forms of power that they eventually walk away from. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking anyway. I think that's on the money. I think that's right on point. One of the things that is most significant that we find out First, it's hinted at by the Stormfather when Dalinar kind of questions him. Hey, why did that Day of Recreants happen? Like, what was the big secret that caused everyone to go away? I think previously, 
my biggest speculation was that it was tied to the death of honor but now what we know and i still think that the death of honor is like key in the point of like weakening the knight's radiant or weakening um maybe just allowing odium to play up the passions more and kind of seep in this information in some way but the information that humans are the aggressors not the defenders right that they're not like the heroes they thought they were Mm -hmm. and i think that is such a interesting path to go down in a book or a series that really is about heroes like uh, brandon sanderson writes heroic epics and heroic stories and you have all these like great characters that we've talked about kelsier and wax and wayne and you have all these characters who are heroes and then a key aspect of this book is like you think you're the hero of your own story but you might not know your own story like you you don't have the full scope the full understanding and what you think is heroic i'm defending my land i'm holding up the will of honor and i'm a skybreaker and i'm a windrunner it's like well maybe at certain points certain people definitely felt that way but like at a certain point in the past those powers not necessarily the same as surge binding as we mentioned but those powers of humans were used as conquerors as devastators of the the native population of rishar yeah but i think also it examines uh you know what you what you do after that when you find out that your history is Mm -hmm. maybe not exactly what you thought it was and like does you know does that make dalinar evil well, maybe not. Like, maybe he's going to proceed differently, mm-hmm. right? And not just blindly fight the Parshendi and, you know, have more war. Maybe this gives them more impetus to reach out in peace and come to some sort of truce and say, hey, man, I'm sorry our ancestors killed you, but, like, we've been living here for 4,000 years and this is our home, too. So, like, can we, you know, get along and share? I know you just tossed out the 4,000 years, I just want to make clear that it's significantly longer than 4,000 years. Because we know that the since the last desolation, it's oh, been 4,500 years, sure. and there were 100 desolations before well, that. Well, okay, yeah. at least 4,000 years. Exactly. Like, they've been around for a while. And I completely understand <laughs> your point. I just didn't want to hold that number because we're going to come back to sure. the... I mean, I guess I was just thinking modern humans have been on Rishar for 4,000 years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's true the, since the, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, the last, last desolation. What I think is so interesting and just one of those aspects of like, Brandon, how long have you been planning this out? Oh my like, God, forever. It's just because, okay, so the planet that humans came from and may have partially been created by Odium uh, or partially or existing without the shard pre-shards pre-shattering of adenalsium but we know that something happened on ashen the humans arrive and originally the listener the native race of rashar is like yeah okay cool you're desperate you're refugees you call as you called them and you can have this territory it's the territory that is most similar to to your homeland where where you are from 
it's the territory on Rashar that is furthest away from the yeah, source. The high storms. They're like, oh, look at these poor little soft things. They have no protection. We better give them like the easy land. And that easy land becomes known as Shinovar, uh, where the the home of the people, the Shin. And I think that it was on Reddit that uh, you saw this specific, but it's just a great catch is that, okay, we have the Shin who founded Shinovar, who originally came from the planet of Ashen. They were Ashen. They were Ashen. (laughs) And that, okay, maybe Brandon created all in the past and like hats off to you. Maybe he was just like, this worked out really well. Um, but it seems so perfect. It's so perfect. And that's like that really is how language works. Mm-hmm. Like it makes Absolutely. it makes sense. I think that's the best aspect is like that is how language works. Yeah. You're like, what are it's you? So where, where are you from? How did you get here? Oh, I'm from Ashen. My my oh, we are Ashen. And they're like, okay, cool, you're Shin. And you can live over there. We'll He's call- a shin. Yeah. And, and like you'll stay over there in your little grasslands because that's similar to you. Specifically, I believe that this is just uh, speculation, but I believe that the original agreement, maybe a treaty of some type was signed um, or just, you know, you've showed up as refugees and we'll give you this little corner. But specifically the rules that were given to humans, my theory is that the rules were you are not allowed to leave the grasslands. You are not allowed to walk on stone. Your land has grass. Our land has stone. And this would then explain the reverence uh, that the Shin people still place on uh, stone. And And not walking on And not walking on stone is like, okay, if they had this original kind of political treaty that eventually turned into a religious mindset or like uh, some aspect yeah, of, kind of their culture. Yeah, I was going to say because there is a lot of talk about the gods of stone as well, which we really haven't seen. Um, but even in that Ilias Steele passage um, saying that the humans betrayed all of the gods, the spren, the stone, and the wind... And we've seen the spren. You know, we know wind. Okay, that probably comes from honor. So, you know, that's of God. But Do you think it's stone, a thunder class? Well, that's what I was thinking. But I don't think thunder class existed until after Desolations. Totally possible. I don't know. So, And I don't know if that's maybe a reference to cultivation. Just like being of the earth stone. I don't know. But it's mentioned a lot. And or, we don't have a lot of info about it. So I'm curious. Or... Because we're we're gonna find out in this uh, book when it comes to the description of the oath pact, which we'll talk about in just a moment here, uh, that the listener race has this kind of ability of uh, being the host for reincarnated sp- souls. Right? We would call them souls, or are they spren? No, I think they are souls. I think they're souls as well. More uh, fully connected through the three realms than just a spren, which would base in the cognitive realm. I think that the ability possibly existed 
before Odium, maybe. Oh, definitely. No, I think that's definitely true because, like, in that Ilya Steel passage, they talk about how the humans only have one heart and it doesn't live. And so I think the, the singers are well aware that they have gem hearts that have special capabilities and the humans do not. So I think it could be then possible that the gods of the gods of stone, the gods of the stone walkers, the gods of the listeners could be what now we call the fused, uh, but were... No, because I don't think they existed yet. I don't think they're the same thing, but I'm saying like the ability of like a you know, a few right, listeners to reincarnate, to reincarnate. Got it. and like that could have been the basis of like, oh, these are our gods is like the ones that keep returning and mm-hmm. keep leading us. And then that we'll call it ability of their race gets corrupted by odium because I think the fused specifically are corrupted I mean, we're going to do a whole episode on the fuse. That's I don't true. We talk can't, we can't get into it. I haven't it. done my research, so I don't want to say anything. Um, I also want to point out that another great little mention in this Elias Steele passage is that we have confirmation, again, that that music theory is correct. Um, she says that the Voidbringers know no songs. They can't hear Rashar. And I just love that image of this whole planet of like zooming out from this planet and it is just like making this symphony of all the things on Rishar. It's so beautiful. Well, and I, that music theory is a hundred percent on point. Uh, and just to kind of re-explain without going directly to, I think it was user Soldaris. Soldaris. Nice. Yeah. We've memorized you because we it like so you, dude. Way to go. Or do that. <laughs> however dudette. you roll. Uh, the concept was that where in other Cosmere planets, the magic system is based around things like color or metals. On Rishar, everything is based around music and rhythm. Um, and, and we see this a lot of different areas, and it's basically further investigated, further explored, to the point of, like, fairly confident that this is where it's going. But the musical association to the planet of Rashar I felt was very interesting and there were so many moments when like there were description of light pulsing in a particular way uh, or feeling a pulse of you know whether it's the thrill uh, there's just like all these descriptions that when you look There's at it, a lot of references in Oathbringer. I highlighted them. <laughs> they're and they're 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 hugely significant because like, what is the thrill? We've we've talked about it before, but now I kind of see it mm. as like the thrill is the drum beats of war that you like can't turn off. Yeah, that it like you know takes you yeah. over of just like this like rhythmic pounding and, then and like it builds you is, up to fight so then there there's a part where i think it's venley mm-hmm. is uh talking about how the humans don't have songs like the singers do but she occasionally sees them behave in a manner that is complementary to the rhythms she's like they can't hear them and yet sometimes mm-hmm. it almost seems like they're singing along to a particular rhythm without realizing it um And then, so I wonder if something like the thrill, the humans are sort of attuning Mm -hmm. the rhythm of 
war or whatever it is sort of without realizing it and experiencing it and describing it in a different way. Yeah, I think that that's at least some aspect of what's going on. And it might be that as all people in the Warbreaker, what's the planet? Nalthus. On Nalthus have a breath and are connected to the investiture in that manner. It could be that all beings in the Risharian system are linked to rhythm and, and this musical connection and then it's manifesting itself in a bunch of different ways it's manifesting itself in part as the unmade uh is it nergol or mm-hmm. okay so, uh, or Mo- molak so. it's one of those two nergol i think it's nergol nergol is the thrill um but it, it's like using this maybe innate risharian ability of like mm-hmm. music and rhythm to control or to change the desire of the the people yeah totally let's see let's turn this into the conversation about the oath pact yeah because we have this experience of like what we know now about the human history of rashar Mm -hmm. to kind of show up violate whatever treaty about not walking on stone my personal theory uh but we know we know that they conquer and then there's like the the hit back when you have the listener race that is now the attacking force, and that's when the humans start to change their um, change their mythology around. Okay, the void bringers are those people over there. They're scary and they're dark, uh, and they are you know corrupted and ancient and magical. And you have this turning of the history of the humans to portray them as more of the heroes of their own story eventually this is going to turn into the desolations we don't know what point odium starts corrupting the listener race or using the listener race yeah so from the storm father he says man we get so much info from the storm father (laughs) in oathbringer it's so great uh he says There were many souls of creatures who had been slain, angry and terrible. They had been given great power by the enemy, the one called Odium. That was the beginning, the start of the desolations. For when they died, they refused to pass on. So I think what he's describing is the death that was put on the listeners by the humans leads to maybe a weakness uh, of them, but they call out to Odium, I think. Is there, or they kind of, Odium works his way in and starts to uh, abuse and eventually either manipulate this power of a resurrection or create the power of resurrection, mm-hmm. not 100% certain. But we know that this kind of ability of returning from the dead and re-inhabiting a, a new body or you know the soul moving from one body to another upon death is what starts the desolations and turns what was a war of conquest uh into more of a fair fight and that kind of goes on through the desolations of which there are a hundred so with the beginnings of the desolations basically we could consider that like odium taking the side of the listeners yeah i wonder if 
the humans like started taking oaths with honor and odium seems like the kind of god right get if jealous. He's, yeah if he's all passion he's gonna get real jealous about that and be like fine i'll go to the parchment yeah i think that that is an aspect but it's, it's not the stuff yeah there's that definitely more explored. going yeah. on i think that once the desolations have started and you have odium taking the side of the listeners that's when you get the call that goes out for mortals to stand up and eventually make what is known as the oath pact yeah i definitely think that is the leading into the heralds and the oath pact is that the humans are like okay well now our enemy has these entities that never die they just keep coming back what are we supposed to do Mm -hmm. and that desperation causes them to create the oath pact so we did go over uh, the Oath Pact briefly in our first Rasharian history episode, uh, but very briefly, you had these 10 mortals that were five males and five females make a pact with honor. We are under the assumption that this is where many of the surges as we know them now are manifesting in these 10 individuals? Maybe not to start. Well, no, because I think it comes from the honor blades are like the original sources of the powers. And then the spren will mimic those powers and and bond with the Knight's Radiant. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The honor blades, most likely (laughs) created by honor... (laughs) are given to these champions, which gives them magical powers. But some other stuff goes on, too, with this oath pact between the individuals. Yes, they get cool magical powers. Yes, they have uh, honor blades. But something else is going on on the spiritual and mental side. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So, again, we have confirmation from the Stormfather, a little bit more information around the heralds and one what exactly they were doing and two how they were able to do it so we know that they began as humans but at some point became something more than human um and essentially they were tasked with keeping he says the spren of the dead and sealing them into damnation and they were connected to each other in in some way. They're, they're able to share the pain that they encounter while performing this feat. And that idea of sealing the s- souls in damnation, the ones that can reincarnate and, and lead the parchment in my opinion, really makes it sound like they are perhaps sealing a perpendicularity, a shard pool, something that would allow transit between Rishar and... Braze. Braze, thank you so much. Uh, The planet that goes by the name Damnation, but the other planet in the Risharian system. And I think that the concept that... These 10 heralds are going to kind of travel to the other side of the perpendicularity and then 
you know, stand guard in front of it while they're constantly being attacked by the souls on the other side, the souls of what we come to know in Oathbringer as the fused. Yeah. And we do know that it's not just a physical torture that they encounter. The Stormfather says that by the end, their souls had worn thin. Yeah, and so there's one, some type of link that is done between these heralds Mm -hmm. by, we're guessing, honor. Yeah, and we have more evidence of that, too, when uh, Yezrian is killed. Yeah. And uh, Shalash, like, passes out, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah. She she immediately recognizes. She, like, she physically feels something change because they're linked in a very profound way. And she's never felt anyone die. Uh, any right. of them they don't yeah. they don't really die as part of the oath pact so they they go to the other side they seal it up they're tortured and attacked uh and eventually one of them breaks and that begins the new desolation but they return and lead the humans and the humans fight off the mm-hmm. void and that's the story that makes up the the background of the oath the world of rashar yeah so if they come to rashar and they're literally physically fighting thunder class etc and one of them dies is yeah is killed by a thunder class on rashar they don't die in the way we traditionally think of it they return to braze so that's a different feeling than an actual death of one of the heralds and so this is kind of what makes me think that we have a known perpendicularity on Rashar somewhere in the Horn Eater Peaks, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have Dalinar, who in the final battle claps his hands together and merges the three realms into one and recreates Honor's perpendicularity. Well, but we also have the uh, the storms, the high storms. It, that's a moving perpendicularity. Wait, you can travel as a perpendicularity in the high storm? Or it's just a source mm-hmm. of investiture? I can't remember if that was confirmed or if it's just my theory. But <laughs> okay, well, no, <laughs> but, no. But putting it together from things that various people said about there being, about honor's perpendicularity being incredibly volatile and dangerous mm-hmm. and mobile. Like, what else do you think it is? Yeah, and I think that's good speculation. I forgot about the description of being mobile. Um, But Dalinar is able to create the perpendicularity. And so I kind of think... Okay, so stay with me here. Mm -hmm. Now, post Words of Radiance, we have the Everstorm, which was created by Honor, excuse me, created by Odium, to constantly bring back the fused and reincarnate them with every Everstorm instead of sending them back to Braze. So he found a loophole. By creating the Everstorm, the Fuse never go to Braze. They just recycle in the Everstorm. Oh, oh. So I'm kind of thinking that what happened to the Heralds might have been that they died and, you know, they fall on the field of battle or whatever, and they might, possibly, don't know this, but they might stay around until a high storm comes and then that high storm is the perpendicularity that sends them back to braze although just speculation i'm just yeah, spitballing right now it just seems like that would take too much time 
Totally possible. Yeah. Because um, some high but storms don't come for thought. multiple yeah. days. I was just trying to connect that idea. Right. We know that the Everstorm is a type of loophole for mm-hmm. the fused. And so... Could that also be used, but on the other side? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I do think that what is significant about the Oath Pact is that with each continuing year of torture, with each further desolation, with the extension unnaturally of these mortal beings' physical, spiritual, and cognitive selves, they are deteriorating. Like you said, yeah. they're all linked and all of them are deteriorating at different speeds in different ways. And I think it's affecting all of them. So like if you and I were both heralds and I was more physically strong and you were more mentally strong, well, my mind might crack first and then that's going to impact your mind. Yeah. So my thought is, because we also learn a little bit more about Talen a lot in this book about how for for some reason we don't know why he was a herald that was never meant to be a herald for some reason we get the sense that he was kind of roped into this in some way and he was sort of the the pure one uh he's also the only herald that never ever ever broke under torture um And so I'm thinking, since he was the one that was sent back to be tortured by himself for... Well, he died. He was not... He didn't voluntarily go Well, sure, 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 sure. But But, he was the only one there being tortured by himself. And so I'm wondering if that is actually the cause of the heralds on Rashar disintegrating because they are feeling the after effects, the sort of aftershock of the torture that Telenalot is going through. I think that that is a possibility. I also think that they were specifically warned that if they didn't go back, there would be consequences. So I think that they... Yeah, but I think, wouldn't you assume those consequences would be like, Rashar will be under desolation forever? No. Or something, I mean, you know? I think that there is a, a strong likelihood that in the process of creating this like bonded group of 10 there is a kind of all or nothing attitude about it so like if basically what happened is Telenalot died went back to seal up what might be a perpendicularity and he held out against the torture for 4,500 years and that's the since the last desolation but in that time period all of the heralds on rashar progressively got worse from what was described as their frayed souls by the end of the last desolation like they were real bad yeah at the end of the last desolation and then they got significantly worse to their current forms could that be because they're like linked to Telenolot's torture yeah possibly but i also think it could be a i think it's more like the effect of not being together rather than simply oh. the the torture mm, i don't know about that i mean i we're would just also say though no, no right answer here no yeah i know um but it could also be i wonder if it's in relation to the oath pact like, because they're not maintaining their oaths, 
they are disintegrating? Completely possible, because there was um, a passage from the Stormfather in that description when he said, quote, I long blamed them for their lack of honor. It is difficult for me to look past oaths broken. I hated them. Now, the more I come to know men, the more I remember because of being bonded with Dalinar. The more I see honor in those poor creatures you name heralds. End quote. I think that you're to, on the right track with the idea that there was a connection to like the violation of the oaths and pissing off the Stormfather, who's not just the Stormfather now. He is also like holding the last remnants of honor. And I, I guess Dalinar is now mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I think that the concept of what we don't have full knowledge of is how exactly did Odium become trapped in this system? What he calls being shackled. Yeah, we don't know why or really how, but the Stormfather does say that Odium is sealed by the powers of cultivation and honor. Yes. And so I don't necessarily think that the Oath Pact is the same thing that is holding... Oh, no, it's not. Yeah, it's exactly. definitely not. It's like the Oath Pact is really about the Heralds versus the listeners. Yeah, the yeah. Fused. Um, and not so much about the larger battle of the Shards versus each other. Right. Like the Heralds are more the champions of men. Yes. Yeah. And I think that this is going to be significant in the future. Like, what exactly did bind or shackle Odium? Because obviously yeah. that's the thing that he wants to break. And he was so convinced in this book that he could turn Dalinar, who's bonded to the Stormfather and is now the bearer of honor's power. And we see this in that first meeting with Odium at the end of part two, or the beginning of part three, where Dalinar fumbles. He almost makes he almost makes <laughs> well, a Vin-like mistake. Just, he, yeah, he's playing a game he doesn't know. Yes. He doesn't even know he's playing a game. <laughs> exactly. And I think his response to making this mistake is like, hey, buck up, new recruit. Like, he, he imagines himself as like a, a young child again, like uh, learning, you know, the spear or, or whatever for the first time. Um, and like making a very stupid mistake because you're not paying attention as young people do, but he is playing a game with a shard, an ancient power, a source, and in his frustration with Odium, and Odium kind of defining, hey man, I'm shackled and I don't want to be here, like, I just want to get out of my shackles and be all passionate and whatnot. So Odium and Dalinar have this moment when they first meet and Odium's like, hey man, come sit next to me on this rock. We're just two friends talking. Dalinar's got his guard up, but he's going to make a very basic mistake. You want to do this with me? Um, We have this quote. Do you want to be Dalinar or Odium? I think last time you played Odium, right? Yeah, I kind of like Odium. I know, but I like Odium. Okay, you be Odium. You be Odium. I'll be Dalinar. Quote, 
So do it. Leave us alone. Go away. Odium turned to him so sharply that Dalinar jumped. Is that, Odium said quietly, an offer to release me from my bonds coming from the man holding the remnants of honor's name and power? End quote. And Dalinar is like, uh, no, no, no. Definitely not. Nope. We need to back this up. Roll nope. back real quick. <laughs> because he almost stumbled into something. Like doing the worst thing possible. <laughs> yeah. And Odium then quickly clarifies. He's like, look, I'm not going to trick you. And we believe it's because And it he, wouldn't work anyway yeah, is what he, he says. He can't uh, trick Dalinar. It's all about the intent. And he thinks that he's going to turn Dalinar and get Dalinar to willingly release him with and that be his his intent not to trick him in any way well is that his intent or is his intent just that he thinks he will get Dalinar to be his champion Dalinar will win as Odium's champion and then Odium will win and like be cool yeah but I think that Dalinar is still the key to Honor's power and as you said oh because Honor he's bonded is bonded to the Stormfather got it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so Dalinar is the key and Odium knows this. He knows he can't trick Dalinar to release his bonds, but he thinks that through his manipulation of Dalinar's emotions, specifically related to Evie and Dalinar's violent past as the Blackthorn, um, that over time Odium is just going to convert Dalinar to his side and that's yeah. what goes wrong at I the mean end of Odium Oprah. so this is very similar to what we see from Ruin and Vin right that Ruin picked her out from the time she was a child and already prepped her so that when the time came he could use her to his ends that's basically what Odium tried to do and thinks he is going to be successful at is that hey I handpicked Dalinar, his you know entire past is littered with my influence, and now at this crucial moment, I will be able to fully use the weapon that I have prepared. And of course, that does not go as planned. It doesn't happen. I was really afraid that it was going to happen. Yeah, especially <laughs> when you recognize this moment, and it's like shortly after the moment we talked about is one of our favorite moments, like Dalinar walking out with this book, uh, unguarded. Uh, and it, it just reminds me of uh, right before he goes out to meet Odium and he's holding the Way of Kings book, uh, he comes across Lyft and he gives her the mission to go mm-hmm. do her thing. Uh, but he says, do you have a weapon? And she responds with, no, I never learned how to read because he's carrying a book. <laughs> thought that the book was the weapon. And he's like, no, I meant a more traditional one. And then she busts out uh, Wendell, her stick blade. Yeah. No, I think it's like just a rod. Yeah, I think it's a rod with like a cross guard. So it looks like a, what a kid would make yeah, as yeah, a sword. Yeah, yeah. Of, of just like <laughs> a straight stick with a little cross guard. Yeah. And she's like, my sprint doesn't like hurting things. <laughs> and then paddles herself away. I mean, Lyft is just... Oh, the imagery is so great. (laughs) So because Dalinar succeeded in not being used as Odium's champion, he still needs to find a champion, right? Because Dalinar Dalinar already agreed to a fight of champions. Like, Mm -hmm. he's in that pact with Odium. But Odium now needs to find a champion. 
And so there was like, you know, speculation uh, in the moment, that other huge moment uh, in the final battle where I think it's a nail and Zeth are flying above the battle and Nail's like, you need to choose, um, yeah, choose, choose a, someone to, not someone. No, he has to choose his law. Choose basically. his law. Like, yeah. What What is What is the law that you are going to swear yourself to yes. and follow, no matter what? That's going to define your life. And he looks down and he sees Dalinar, I think, facing off with Odium. And in that moment, I'm like, oh no he's going to become Odium's champion. Me too, I thought that. And then he doesn't. He becomes Dalinar's best friend and like another <laughs> moment of... Zeth is anyone's best friend. Of he's going to be the creepy he's shadow of Dalinar. Nightblood's best friend, possibly. Uh, I don't know. I think Nightblood and Lyft are now best friends. <laughs> that trio fighting was so, so cute. Fantastic. I love their trio. The question of like who is odium's champion will probably be the focus of a uh, book four or at least in the background of book four and then yeah. conflict in book five yeah i think that for me the one who is most likely to become odium's champion just from what i saw is moash moash has this conversion built on his own history but he figures out the story too, right? Yeah. From the from the fuse. I from think. the fuse, yeah. they tell him the the real story, and he basically makes the decision. Does he? Hold on, I'm trying to remember now. I don't know if he does or if it's just based on conflating the enslavement of the Parshendi and the Parshmen with the way that dark guys are treated. And so he sees them and he's like, yeah, I know how you feel. And so he sides with them because he identifies with them. That's what I can't 100% remember. Listeners, help us out on the Twitter or whatnot. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> specific point that we did not remember from the book. <laughs> it's totally fine. Did Moash know about the history of humans uh, or is he making it, like Brooke said, based on this decision of uh, kind of class injustice. Just like, yeah, siding with the underdog, sort of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, siding, siding with the slaves in many ways, which he was and makes sense. Right, yeah. And so, obviously, going forward, the champion of Odium may not be a character that we know. Do you think that it could be Teravangian? No, I think that what Teravangian promised at the end of the book to Odium is that he would be an agent of Odium, that he would specifically have the diagram work for Odium. Right, he just takes sides. Yes, he, he picks the side of Odium, but he also kind of clearly says, you need a champion, and then doesn't say, like, I am that champion or anything right, like that. Right, right. Um, in exchange for the protection of the people of Carbronth and anyone it's who such was a born, stupid deal. It's like, what are you gonna do with nothing around Carbronth, dude? You yeah, gotta trade and he also isn't crops. it. It's like just Carbronthians and their spouse, not even the kids. Like, uh, I, th- I think bruh, it's, no. I think your grandkids are gonna die. I think it's in uh, the spirit of anyone who was born in Carbronth or their spouse. No, it's and. Oh, or, uh, sorry, and their spouse. Yeah, absolutely. So it's anyone born in Carbronth and their spouse. 
and their spouse, even if the spouse wasn't born in Carbonath, and their kids. I think. Obviously, Odium does not play by the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Right. So he would not be trying to make that type of I guess fine that's true. line that's true. Uh, distinction. He's not a, a genie type character <laughs> who's like, what exactly did you say? Or a skybreaker. Yes, uh, who are far more about the letter of the law. I think that the concept of Odium's champion is kind of like what we're looking for next uh, out of book four and book five and like how that champion comes to face off with Dalinar and how obviously our friends gain more power to I mean so much happened in this book that you're almost like what happens next and I don't know but we can keep exploring Oathbringer (laughs) we we will be able to pick this book apart for a long time there's a lot in there it's only like 1200 pages oh gosh (laughs) I think that one of the well definitely one of the things that we are going to really explore is the unmade and the mystica epigraphs uh and we're also gonna dive into the letters from hoid to we believe different shards like harmony uh so those are what we got coming in the next couple of weeks We wanted to just make a quick footnote about pronunciation, which is not really my specialty, (laughs) but pretty much the entire episode, we were pronouncing the Elia Steel wrong. Brooke, what's the actual pronunciation? Yeah, so I think it should actually be Isla Steel on a second glance. Uh, It's actually spelled E-I-L-A, which I would guess is Isla. Yeah, so I had a little bit of... I don't know, dyslexia or something, mixing up that L and I. Understandable. It's it's an easy one to mess with, but just for all the purists out there. Just wanted to clarify. Absolutely. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Destination.